0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We believe that the Bible is God's Word to His people. That means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. It can be found on page 1084 of the Black Bibles. We are reading from the Christian Standard Bible, so please follow along in your Bibles and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. Dear friends, let us love one another. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another.
1: Gracious God, we ask that this day, as we uh, consider what Your Word has to say, not just about Your cross, but about Your love, uh, that You might give us uh, attentive ears keen minds and receptive hearts, uh, that we might hear what you have to say this day and be shaped and transformed by your love for us. These things we ask and pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Can I ask a show of hands, who here knows the song or is familiar with the song, In Christ Alone? Up high, reasonably, yep, it's a pretty familiar song. It is one of the great modern Christian hymns of our generation. In fact, it's so popular that in 2013, the Presbyterian Church of America decided that it's so good, we're going to include it in our new hymnal, our new collection of songs. But when they looked at the lyrics, they saw the lyrics in the third verse, and there was one line in it that made them stop. And I wonder if you know what that line is. Here it is. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And in that moment, when they saw those words, the wrath of God was satisfied, they stopped. And they said, no. You see, the, for the PCA, the, the wrath of God was totally unacceptable. So, what do you think they did? They, they, actually, they picked up the phone. And they called, of all people, Keith and Christian Getty, the original composers of the song. And they asked them, look, might you be willing for us to, I don't know, just change the lyrics of those of that one line. We'll keep everything else the same, but that one line will change. We won't sing the wrath of God was satisfied. No, instead we'll sing, till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. I wonder if you know what the Gettys said. Good Christian believers they are, they politely said, no thank you. And the PCA decided to leave that song out from its hymnal, all because of that one line. The wrath of God was satisfied, was too offensive for them. And you see, for some people, the mere idea of God's wrath is offensive, isn't it? I mean, the suggestion that God could be angry is so repulsive, because it seems so incompatible with the idea that God is love. Uh, In their book, The Lost, Message of Jesus, which by the way, if you're gonna name a book that's trying to if you're gonna write heresy and pass it off as orthodoxy, there's a title, The Lost Message of Jesus, right? Steve Chalk and Alan Mann write this. If the cross is a personal act of violence perpetrated by God towards humankind, but born by his son, then it makes a mockery of Jesus' own teachings to love your enemies. Did you get what he's saying? All right. If at the cross God pours out his wrath, how in the world can we say that this God is loving? And that, in effect, is our question today, right? How can a loving God send his son to die on a cross? How can this God, which is so supposedly full of love, yet also be a God so full of wrath? And I want us to realise today that actually, God's love isn't incompatible with his wrath. It's not incompatible with his judgment. No, in fact, as strange as it might sound, God's love demands his wrath and God's wrath expresses his love. God's love demands his wrath and God's wrath expresses his love. You see, in order for God to be truly loving, God must be angry at our sin. And we'll see why. The death of Christ displays the love of God. The death of Christ displays the love of God. You see, if you want to see a picture of love at its most beautiful, don't go to a wedding. Go to a funeral. Go to the cross. And there, behold the death of Jesus. Why? Three points today. Number one, the cross is the plan of love between the Father and the Son. Secondly, it is the demonstration of God's love for His church. And thirdly, it is the model of love for the fellowship of believers. If you didn't get that, don't worry. We'll swing back around. We'll get there. The the cross is the plan of love between the Father and the Son. Let me ask you, if I stood up today and I said, everyone, I... Adam Cheung, I am the embodiment of love, in fact, within me is the perfection of love itself. What would you think? You might think I'm a bit insane, probably true, but you might also sit there and think, it's a bit narcissistic, right? And you'd be right, because self-love, and our world actually majors on self-love, but self-love really is just nothing short of narcissism. One of the great modern thinkers of our day said, because if you like the way you look that much, oh baby, you should go and love yourself. No, it's not love. It's narcissism. True, I don't think he would actually, anyway, I'm not going to tell him that, nor would he care, but true love always seeks another person to love. It's always focused on someone else. So now, if John, if 1 John 4 says, God is love, Well, for that to be true, then there must be within God himself another person to love. And the Bible says there is. You see, for the God of the Bible exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's not three different or distinct gods, but within the one God, there are three persons in this eternal fellowship of love. The the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father, and the Spirit binds that love. You see, at the heart of the universe is a God of love. This isn't a world without meaning. No, this is a world not only created by a God who is loving, this is a world created by God who is himself love. It's a radically powerful idea. All of human history is the story of the Father loving His Son. All of human history is the story of the Father loving His Son. Let me show you, right? In John 3.35, this is what we read. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. Chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He's doing. In verse 23, the Father's doing All things in creation and redemption for one purpose, so that all people may honor the Son. You see, friends, that's the fundamental reality that explains everything in our world. Why does God do anything at all, right? Why does He do anything in history? Colossians 1 tells us it's all for the sake of the Son He loves. If the cross is the crux of Christianity, then this, friends, is the source of Christianity, the, the perfect love within God himself. I want you to hear what one theologian, Andrew Moody, writes. The, the fundamental reality in heaven and earth is the love that God the Father has for his Son. You and I and everyone and everything else exists because God loves his Son and he wants others to know, love, and glorify him too. God is love, because within his very being is the fountainhead, the source, the pure perfection of love itself, the love of God the Father for God the Son. Now, if you've ever loved someone before, you'll know that desire to express your love, right? Right? And how do we express our love? Well, actually, one of the clearest ways we express our love is by giving a gift. Just uh, think about the man who buys chocolate and flowers for his girlfriend on Valentine's Day. The, The daughter who crafts a gift at school for her dad. The friend who buys a bottle of whiskey for his best mate. So often, our love is expressed in a gift, isn't it? And it's actually no different between the father and the son. The father loves the son so much that he gives him a gift. In fact, he gives him the greatest gift ever imaginable. I wonder, can you guess what that gift might be? If you're in a relationship or you've got a best mate and you want to buy the greatest gift of all for them as an expression of your love, what would you buy? The father loves the son so much that he gives him a gift. And that gift, friends, believe it or not, is you and me. It's you and me. Believe it or not, that's right. You are the gift of God the Father to His Son. Just look at John 6, 37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 40, for this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose none of those He has given me. And in John 17, 6, what does Jesus pray to the Father? I've revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. For hear what God is saying, you and I and all of God's people were a gift of love from the Father to the Son. We, We evangelicals, we often devalue the church so much, but here is an exalted vision of the people of God. The church is the greatest gift of the most perfect love within the eternal God. It's amazing. The church is the greatest gift of the most perfect love within the eternal God. And if the value of a gift is measured by the cost of its purchase, friends, then you and I, we are the most precious gift imaginable. All the wealth of this world, all the riches of its kingdoms cannot compare with the cost at which you and I have been bought. We have been bought at a price. We have been bought by the death of Jesus on the cross. You know, in this series, we often think that the cross is God's gift of love to us. And it is. But I hope you can see that it's so much more than that. That the cross is not just God's gift of love to us, it's the cost of God's gift of love to his son. Our salvation, That the cross of Christ, the whole project of redemption, is God's eternal plan of love. You and I, in all our sin, believe it or not, we are God's precious gift to the Son He loves. It sounds a bit trite, doesn't it? A bit naff, but you're a gift. You're precious. You are the greatest gift of the most perfect love within the eternal God. And that's got to give us radical dignity. You know, all of us find value in being known and loved. But this plan of the Father and the Son tells us, no, not only are we loved by God, no, we are the very expression, we are the very embodied gift of God's perfect love. And it's not because we're somehow worthy, if you don't mind me saying. No, it's all because the Father loves the Son, And the life of the Son is the cost at which we have been bought. We have the dignity and value of nothing less than the Son of God. Now if you pause and think, some of you thinking people might have spotted what might seem like the fatal flaw in this whole plan of love. So you might realise, well Adam, if you're saying the Father loves the Son so much that He gives us to His Son as a gift in love, but the cost to purchase that gift is the life of the son, then it's a pretty raw deal for Jesus, isn't it? How is that in this so-called plan of love? How is it that the son has to die to purchase his very own gift? That's, that's a terrible deal. It's, it's not just like me having to pay for my own gift. It's actually me having to die for my own gift. It almost sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? A bit twisted, a forced gift demanded by a murderous father. That's why some people even call this cosmic child abuse. That the father would offer up his son to die. But friends, I want you to see that's not the picture of this plan of love. In John 10, Jesus says, this is what Jesus himself says. This is why the father loves me. Because I lay down my life. So that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own. Did you see the the, the cross is not the plan of the Father for the Son? No, it's the joint plan of the Father and the Son to love each other forever. Jesus is not some unwilling participant in this. He's not dragged kicking and screaming to the cross. He joyfully, willingly goes out of love for his Father. Do you remember how we said that true love always seeks another person to love? It's always loving someone else. Well, within the Godhead, the Father loves the Son that he gives in the church as a gift. And the Son loves the Father that he joyfully gives his life to purchase that gift. And at the end of history, the Son will give the church back to the Father as a gift in love. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, then comes the end when he, the Son, hands over the kingdom to God the Father. This, this is, I, if your brain is hurting, I understand why. This is, an ex- this is the eternal exchange of the greatest gift of love. Within God himself, the Father and the Son love each other so much that they're, in one sense, always giving each other a gift. That the Father gives the church as a gift to his Son, that the Son gives the church back to the Father as a gift. Did you see within God himself there is this eternal fellowship of love that's always giving, always exchanging, always loving, always centered on the other person. And the cross is the means by which that plan of love is effected. The cross is the means by which that love, that gift of the church is bought. It is the plan of love between the Father and the Son. That's our starting point. But it's more than that. It's also the demonstration of God's love for His church. You see, I know that many people, even here, often feel like we're looking at love from the outside in. Right, Many of us long for love, but we often feel like we don't have it. So we come to church and we see everyone else and we think that they have perfectly loving lives. We see the couples in a loving marriage. We see parents with their loving children. We see people at church with their loving friendship groups. And it's as if we're on the outside. We can see that someone over there is experiencing love, but for whatever reason, we can't get in. We can't share it. We're almost like an orphan in the cold, looking through the glass window at the warmth of a family celebrating a Christmas meal. But we're on the outside and we're looking in. And sometimes we might look at the perfect love of God, the love between the Father and the Son, and it's as if we're looking in from the outside. We think, you know what, God, that's great. You're having the time of your life between the Father and the Son in this relationship of perfect love, but I'm not there. I can't share in it. I'm on the outside. I have no one to love or to love me. But friends, I want you to see here's the glory of the cross. For through the death of Jesus, we're not just the gift of love from the Father to the Son. No, God shares that gift with us. He actually takes us and includes us in His love. Do you realize how amazing that is, right? The the perfect love between the Father and the Son is now the love that God has for you. In John 17, 23, Jesus prays to the Father, I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you've sent me, and here it is, that you have loved them. Jesus says, as you have loved me. Did you get that? It sounds a bit heretical maybe even, but God the Father loves us just as much as he loves his own son. God the Father loves us just as much as he loves his own son. Verse 26, I made your name, main, I made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and i may be in them you see we might think god i know that god loves me jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so but surely he loves jesus far more than he loves me but actually the point of the cross is that god now loves you as much as he loves his own son He loves you as if you were his very own daughter or son. Because that is who you are. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. And we are. The pure and perfect love between the Father and the Son is now on offer for you today. You can be included in this eternal fellowship of perfect love forever. But how? How does God extend that love to us? The answer? You guessed it, the cross of Christ. 1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God extends his love to us by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 5, 8, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see, friends, we are a people under wrath just like we saw last week. We've rejected our father. We deserve to be disowned and judged. In one sense, we've kicked ourselves out of the family. And yet God still chooses to love us. Not because we deserve it, no far from it. It's in spite of the fact that we don't. We're the last people on earth who deserve his love. And yet he sends his son to die in our place, not just to save us out of sin, but to save us back into his love. You see, the goal of the gospel is to include us within the love of God. We often think, don't we, that the goal of the gospel is to save us out of hell. We're saved from something, but we don't really know what we're saved into. This shows us we're being saved back into the love of God. It's not hard to love the lovable, is it? And it's not hard to love those who already love us. Even Vladimir Putin loves his own mum. But I want you to realize... That the cross shows us a far greater picture of love. For at the cross, Jesus doesn't die for just anyone, right? He dies to save his enemies. He dies to save the very people who would seek to kill him. He dies to save the very people who don't just not deserve his love. He, He dies for the sake of the people who hate him. But he dies not just to save them. He dies to make them his friends. His sons and his daughters. It's as if through the cross of Christ, God opens the door up to the house. He steps out into the cold. He takes the shivering orphan in his arms. And he brings him back into the warmth of that warm Christmas dinner where we might share in his love forever. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that's exactly what God is offering you today. The opportunity to be welcomed into this eternal relationship of perfect love. That's what God offers. You might pause and wonder, Adam, how in the world with a God so loving, if that's the picture of the love of God, how in the world could he be so wrathful? How in the world could he be so angry? How in the world could he judge us for our sin? But I hope you realise that God's wrath actually expresses his love. God's wrath shows that he cares. It shows that he's not indifferent to our sin. I want you to imagine for a moment this terrible situation, and I'm loath to even say it, but I want you to imagine the moment uh, a woman whose husband cheats on her, which is terrible. But imagine the strange situation if that woman wasn't angry. Imagine if she was somehow indifferent to her husband's infidelity. Imagine if she didn't care at all. There'd be something wrong with that, wouldn't there? Wouldn't it just show that in one sense she doesn't really love him? In one sense you, you want her to be angry. In one sense it's right for her to be angry. Her anger shows that she really loves him. And God's wrath shows that he really loves us. Because if God was indifferent to our sin, why would he care at all? You see at the cross God's love is displayed not only in taking our sin seriously, is shown in taking us back into his love forever. The goal of the cross is not simply so that you and I can be saved out of hell. That's only half of it. No, the far greater goal of the cross is so that you and I might be adopted as as daughters and sons, it's so that we might be brought back into the family of God. It's beautiful. In Galatians 4, 4 4-7 we read, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Isn't that amazing? The whole point of the cross is that God might love us as He loves His own Son. The whole point of the cross is so that God might love us as He loves His own Son with the greatest love this world has ever known. I just love what J.I. Packer writes here. Get this, right? Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. You see, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. No one's denying that. But to be loved, to be cared for by God the Father is greater. You see, if we're honest, it's not uncommon for many people to feel that no one loves us. It's sad, I know, if someone says to you, oh, someone says, we feel no one loves me, but we think that if we say no one loves me, people will laugh at us, right? But if we're honest, actually in our heart of hearts, so many of us feel that no one loves us. And then we hear that apparently people do love us, and we think, well, it would pay from time to time for them to show it. But sometimes all we want is someone to say, I love you. It's okay, you can come up later and I'll take it, right? <laughs> or someone we sometimes you just want someone to. It sounds needy, doesn't it, right? But sometimes you just want someone to give us a gift in love. I'll also take it, right? Like we we just want someone to show us a sign that they love us, an assurance that they love us. We forget so easily that people love us. So go home and tell people that you love them, right? If you want a visible sign that you are eternally loved, look at the cross of Christ. For there, the God who is love not only saved you out of sin and hell, he brought you back into this eternal fellowship of love. We are just singing it, weren't we? Just think about it. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to what? To make a wretch, trash, chaff, his treasure, his gift, his precious, his beloved. You see, friends, the cross is not only the plan of love between the Father and the Son. He is the glory. Just like a fountain, it spills over into a demonstration of love for you and me. It's a love so perfect, so pure, so divine that exists within God himself. And believe it or not, that perfect love is the love with which God has now loved you. And now, here's where it just blows my mind. The love between the Father and the Son, which is now shared with you and me, he now calls for us to share with one another. The cross is the model of love within the fellowship of believers. Have you ever met one of those model families, right? Where everyone seems to love each other. It's almost like the Brady Bunch, but they're real, right? Indeed, your family might be one of them, right? Like, these are wonderful families, but it's hard to imagine they exist. The wife and the husband, they love each other. The parents and the children, they love each other. And here's the amazing thing, right? The sisters and brothers seem to love each other as well. And you think, this isn't real, is it? But it's true. And I realize in families like that, it all starts with the parents. It all starts with the love of the husband for his wife and the wife for her husband. And out of that love, it shapes everything else in the family. It's the ideal family we all wish we were part of, isn't it? And believe it or not, that's the ideal family that God is calling us to be. Because the cross is more than just a demonstration of God's love for his people. It's the model of our love for one another. We are called to love each other with the pure and perfect love that exists within God himself. John 17, 26, Jesus prays that the love the Father has loved me with may be among us. Uh, In John 13, 34, what does Jesus command? You know it well. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. You've heard that before, but just stop and think about it. Just as I've loved you, how has Jesus loved us? He loved us through his death on the cross. The cross defines our love. Not our culture, not our world, and not our own desires. The cross defines our love. Over the last five years, haven't we heard time and time again that phrase, love is love. But it's a vacuous statement it means absolutely nothing that means simply means that love is whatever we want it to be in the end love becomes license love becomes this unbounded and unquestioned acceptance of anything and everything but the cross shows us that that's not true love you see cross-shaped love has the contours of justice and mercy True love cares about wrath being satisfied, justice being settled, our sins being judged. True love also cares about mercy being offered, grace being extended, and forgiveness being secured. Cross-shaped love doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't simply say, no, no, it's okay, not a big deal. No, it says it is a big deal, and it's not okay. But cross-shaped love doesn't stop there. It acknowledges our sin, forgives our sin, and removes our sin. Cross-shaped love says about our sin, it's not okay, but it will be. And cross-shaped love treats other believers as sisters and brothers adopted by God into this family of eternal love. Here's the crazy thought, right? Right here, as you look around, this church and all of God's people, we are called to be the community of cross-shaped love. We're called to be, like you've seen those fountains, right? I've got one outside my house and it sends me insane, right? Because it just never stops. But, but there's this fountain in the middle is the spout and out of the spout comes this water that just cascades down and then overflows into this pool. It's a picture, right, of God's love for His Son, which cascades down to the church and is now shared among us all. It's the very same love right here in the church. A few months ago, I heard one husband say, you know, Adam, I just love being married because I get a front row seat to see someone's sanctification. And I thought, wonderful, brother, it's so good. Marriage is a wonderful gift of God. Though can I suggest the front row seat to someone's sanctification is not in your marriage, it's actually in the church. You can see that in marriage, but actually it's the church that is the front row seat to witness and experience that cross-shaped love. It's in the church that we see the cross-shaped love of God being worked out among His people. It's in the church that all of us, married, divorced, never married and widowed, can experience the cross-shaped love of God. That The great risk, of course, is that if we go the way of the world and make a romantic relationship the primary place where God's love is experienced, we actually deprive everyone else of God's love. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Adam, nice, good try. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I'll say jokes on you because notice the primary love is not the husband's love for his wife. The primary love is Christ's love for his church. The primary love is Christ's love for you. Marriage is the analogy. The cross is the reality. Do you realize what that means? It means that it doesn't matter whether you're married, divorced, never married or widowed. All of us are equally loved by God. It means that all of us can experience that love in equal measure here in the church. And it comforted me to realize this, it means that there is never a moment in the Christian life when we are not eternally loved. There is is never a moment in the Christian life when we are not eternally loved. And when we love each other as sisters and brothers in Christ, you know, we're doing something far more than just being nice to each other. Don't we often think that's what love one another means? Love one another. I've loved you. Be nice to one another. person to the person who's at the front door. That's not what we're saying, but please do smile, right? When he says love one another, he's saying extend to one another nothing less than the eternal love within God himself. Treat one another the very same way that the Father treats his Son and treats us all. It's so easy to think that the greatest love we experience is found within our biological families. And at one level, it's true that the love that we enjoy from our parents, our spouses, and our children is unique. It's precious. It's a gift of God. Enjoy it. But the greatest love we can ever experience is from God and among His people. For the love that makes this family... The love that marks this family is nothing less than the eternal love of the Father for the Son. You see, one day, all our human relationships will come to an end. Marriage, parents, and children. But the one set of relationships that will persist into eternity are those with our sisters and brothers in the Lord Jesus. Why? Because it's these relationships that Jesus purchased by his death on the cross, and it is these relationships that the Father and the Son desire to include in their love forever. The cross is the plan of love between the Father and the Son. The cross is a demonstration of God's love for us, His people. And the cross is the model of love within this, friends, the fellowship of believers. Friends, in his death on the cross, Jesus changed everything. He guaranteed the redemption of our bodies, the the renovation of our world, the renewal of our souls, and the defeat of the devil. But more than anything else, he secured our forgiveness on the cross. He bore God's wrath in our place. He died the death that we should have died. But today, here at the cross, we see something even deeper than just that. We see why. Right? Be, be, ask the Sunday school question. Be the frustrating but curious five-year-old. I'm guessing five, but around there. Ask why. Why did Jesus die? He died for the forgiveness of sins. Why did he want to forgive our sins? Because he loves us. Why does he love us? Because that is very hard. God is love. And out of that deep wellspring of love between the Father and the Son, not because of anything you've done or I've done, God chooses to love us freely. He doesn't need you. He doesn't depend on me. No, in the beautiful words of Susanna Wesley, why did God love us? He loved us because he loved us. He loved us Because he loved us. It is in his very nature to love. And the cross is the greatest demonstration of that love. Let me pray. So often, Heavenly Father, we feel that we are without love. We feel that people in our lives do not love us. We even feel that you do not love us. And yet there at the cross we see something profound. We see in many ways the heart of our God. We see the Father's love for his Son. The purest and most perfect love this world has ever known. And it blows our minds to realise but we see not only that love, we see that love shown to us. for people so undeserving... And so we pray God this day that as we behold the wondrous cross that we might marvel at your love for us and out of that love for us we might then love one another with an otherworldly love, a pure love, a perfect love, an eternal love, change us from the inside out and make us a people who love you for your love for us. These things we ask and pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.